0: Do Better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.esade.edu. Hello and welcome to the Esade Doers podcast about entrepreneurs and innovators. Our guests today are Iman Jamal and Hazim Malik. Hi guys and welcome.
1: Hi Davide, good to speak to you again.
0: Hey Davide, always great to speak to you and catch up. Thank you very much for uh, for taking the time for joining us. Um, let's start with a very quick um, topic, very quick intro. Give us a so you're the co-founder of a company called CreditBook. Give us a thirty seconds uh, pitch about what is the company, what does it do?
1: Sure. So CreditBook is empowering small businesses in Pakistan with technology. And what we're doing is using smartphones to digitize the workflows of millions of micro, small and medium businesses with the aim of increasing their cash flows. We start with um, digitizing their credit ledgers.
0: Perfect. Fantastic. So and we're going to dive deeper into that uh, in a moment. But prior to get into more details about your current project, let's hear about your stories, right? How did you, and this is actually the first time we do it with, with two people. So let's see what happens. Um, how, did you, how did you kind of became entrepreneurs? Is it something you always knew uh, it was going to happen? Was it a deliberate choice? Did it just happen, you know, by chance? Did you get, uh, I don't know, inspired somehow along the way?
1: Well, I think, I think for me, I, I didn't really set out to be an entrepreneur. Um, I think it was a series of decisions that sort of led me here. Um, My focus has actually been to sort of solve emerging market problems with a human centric lens. And um, slowly those problems started having a lot to do with technology. Um, So sort of studying, using a research uh, driven background, using data, qualitative and quantitative information um, to sort of understand these problems better. And at some point about two years ago, I came back to Pakistan um, after living in Europe for a while, um, and was invited to sort of lead a service design project for one of Pakistan's uh, largest financial institutions. And what they were trying to understand was what the future of fintech is for Pakistanis under the age of 30, because that's about 60% of a 220 million population. Um, And the sort of byproduct of that was a lot of these insights around the pain points of micro, small and medium enterprises. And at that point, Haseeb was still away from Pakistan, um, but I felt like there was something there.
2: Yeah, um, I guess for me, uh, I've you know grown up with two very uh, strong figures in, in my uh, grandfather and my father and um, my grandfather. Um, when Pakistan was created, you know, uh, came from you know very little means and has essentially built uh, a platform and, and now like you know what what he loves to think in his own head as like you know a mini empire of his own uh, <laughs> just through like you know hard work and resilience. My father, on the other hand, again um, you know back in the day of like partition etc., his family made uh, their way over with uh, little. Um, my dad, you know, from a very very young age would be selling uh kebabs uh outside of his school to kind of like fund his education um and you know by the age of 15 he ended up getting a scholarship to the states and that was you know his first kind of entrepreneurial adventure and then not until he was in his 40s did he you know try it again um and that was when i was growing up and i got to see it you know firsthand about like you know the struggles the the highs and the lows um and I guess, you know, for me, it it became uh, a way of living in a very passive way, Uh, but directly, you know, I didn't really think I was gonna set out with that. Maybe it was always in my my head. Uh, When I came back to Pakistan after my undergraduate, um, I worked at a media company and I had a politics degree. And I thought that, you know, you could change the, you know, the face of a country through politics and by, you know, bringing people together. Um, however, like Pakistan was going through an election cycle. So I was very, very fortunate to, you know, uh, go out and actually meet some of these people and hear their stories. And I could just see how broken the system was, at least in Pakistan. And it told, it kind of like told me that, you know, uh, public intervention is going to take a very long time to, you know, catalyze movements. So maybe private enterprise is the way to do it, um, uh, to kind of solve some of these inefficiencies. Uh, But having no kind of background in business, uh, no formal, like, you know, tech training, etc. Either I I decided, you know, let's just go to Sade and and let's see, you know, how how that can kind of like give help. And, uh, you know, from there on, uh, had that, you know, kind of exposure and and came back. You know, Iman and I had actually started a company together uh, for a brief period in time. Uh, Didn't work out because, you know, we had some very interesting stories that we can possibly share about that journey. Um, but, uh, I think what I got exposed to was financial inclusion. And I got to build a company from scratch, from the ground up, I- addressing that pain point. Um, while, you know, that company has gone on, the problem always stuck with me and it became more about solving a problem than being an entrepreneur. And, and I guess like, that's why I am where I am. And when Iman kind of like, uh, kind of uh, gave me what insights she had shared I said you know this is perfect now this is the opportunity and and let's do this
1: one thing I would I would add over there is uh we actually have somebody else Matteo Borgato who's who was also at Isade um and he's with us now at credit book um and he had started the first company with us called Easy Bike which was why we were at Isade so um
0: doing the Halt huh? doing
1: the Halt innovation <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe do you want to expand a little bit on that now so what was uh what has been that experience as well well, I mean, I
2: think, you know, there was Antonio, um, Mateo, myself, and Iman, uh, you know, we, I had seen this uh, problem on the public transport side, and I kind of presented the, the problem set to, to these three. And uh, they started like, and this was before even knowing about the HALT, and essentially they put up like, you know, a, a working value proposition together and, and really like took it forward. And we then entered into the HALT. Um, I think we ended up third or something like that right and after that we were so convinced by this business model that we said that you know let's let's keep going forward and while studying at Esare, like we would be at our apartment for like to like you know the early hours in the morning and then waking up again um, but we were we were completely consumed by that and I let Iman kind of like go on with it.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess context is just that the problem was focused on Karachi, which is like a city <laughs> of 22 million people mm-hmm. and have a completely broken public support, uh, transport system. So um, solving the problem, I think we sort of approached it with a naive lens and um, convinced Mateo to come and, and sort of live in Karachi mm-hmm. with us at some point. Um, and when we actually came back to Pakistan for a little while in between and started studying the problem deeper and and testing things, uh, we realized we couldn't, um, we couldn't sort of grapple with the transport mafia over here, which is who you would technically be competing against. Mm-hmm. So we dropped the idea. Um, fast forward about five years and uh, Matteo's with us leading data at credit book.
0: Amazing, amazing story, no? To see that then, you know, the, this early kind of teamwork can lead five years later to to have somebody joining your team and leading an area of your business. So let's uh, let's actually jump into into the story of Creditbook book then no? So you introduced it to us, briefly explained what it does, um, also already gave us the motivations to start it. but what has been the actual story? So when did you start operating on credit book? how did you maybe did the early validation, et cetera, et cetera, and then let's see how it evolved.
1: Yeah, so so as I mentioned, I was sort of um, conducting this research on on the financial inclusion in Pakistan. Just for those who don't know, Pakistan is one of the lowest, uh, has one of the lowest rates of financial inclusion in the world, only 30%. Um, I went out to basically four crowded urban areas and was observing um, the behavior of small shops over there. So your corner shops, your retailers, your sort of what in Barcelona you call the Paki shops. Um, and essentially um, what, what I observed over there was that because you have a lot of daily wage earners and uh, cash is king over here. Um, people don't always have enough cash in hand. So when you're sort of on your way home and you're going to buy your groceries, um, you will end up taking some of those groceries on credit. So like milk and eggs, and um, you, won't, you won't default on that credit. So you'll always pay each other back, but you won't pay each other back on time. So when that happens, it starts affecting the cash flow cycle of the business because there's another sort of um, system of credit that's functioning with the suppliers and the distributors and everybody else who's sort of supplying the goods. Um, that said, this sort of pain point started becoming enhanced when I went out and researched this. So there were sort of social relationships that you can't sort of, you can't ask people, you don't want to ask people for credit, but you need it. Um, the pain points over there started coming out. People are always using sort of paper ledgers. So mm-hmm. papers gets to record the transactions and paper gets lost or spoiled. Um, the issue, there's also an issue with calculation because calculations done manually. So it leads to sort of a lot of errors on profit and loss. Um, so to sort of accelerate this, um, basically, I went to Sib at that point, he had been very fascinated with like the financial inclusion journey in Pakistan. Um, he was working at a Bain and company affiliate in the UK at this point. Uh, I went to him and I, I sort of shared my findings with him
2: yeah i I think just a pause over here and I'll just uh say something for you guys. I don't think iman can uh use that paki shop bit <laughs> but, <laughs> so like that's just the the caveat but uh i'll I'll continue right now um yeah so iman I think when iman shared uh her insights with me, that's what led to our kind of experimentation um so the research that iman did uh was the perfect kind of like you know obsession over this cash conversion cycle in, in Pakistan. And when understanding these retailers, um, make anywhere between two to 8% in terms of like their margins, every late repayment, every late payment or every delayed repayment, uh, has such an adverse effect on that cash conversion cycle. So the focus of all of our experimentation became about solving the, the cash flow issue or the cash conversion cycle. And. What what ended up happening was that we launched a series of experiments from, you know, November to February, November 2019 to February 2020. Um, But the one that really kind of worked was this very simple intervention around um, just informing one's customer base. So a retailer would inform their customer using SMS or like WhatsApp uh, every week to just let them know how much they've taken from them in credit and when they're supposed to pay back. And so basically,
0: that, a simple reminder uh, sent simple through SMS or WhatsApp saying, hey, dear customer, uh, yeah. you owe me this amount. Hey, Davide, you took 500 rupees or 500 or 5 euros
2: you know, last week. You're supposed to pay me back on the 30th of July, for example,
0: right? Because uh, mm-hmm. also, as, uh, no, as you were mentioning, this is uh, on one side for, uh, related to the, to, to, the, to the retail operation, so to sell to the final customers, exactly. but it's true as well to the supply chain side. And so this can go back all the way in terms of uh, provisioning coming to uh, the shops and to the to the businesses
1: and at the point that we started we actually had no insight into the fact that it would be working on both sides of the chain we were just focused on one side of the chain so only when we launched and went back into our data did we see that there's an effect happening in both cycles
0: so you started just on the retail side in the final. like on, from the retail to the customer so okay. uh
2: yeah exactly so like uh for us when we, when, we, when we proposed this very simple intervention, what we saw within the first four weeks was that their cash flows improved by at least 50% just because of better repayment behavior from their customers. Um, but what was really, really cool about, about this, that gave us this aha moment was that uh, a few weeks later because their cash flow stabilized consistently, uh, they actually went into their communities you know, to ask for loans or other services um, but typically they would do those things and their relationship with financial services are not only uninstitutionalized, but are often driven by circumstance. But in this case, there was an opportunity. They went out to you know get a loan to increase their shop space, um, or to, you know, hire more people or to buy a new machinery because they had more confidence in their business. And that was a real aha moment for us at Credit Book, or like what Iman and I were at that time. Um
1: Simultaneously, um, it was really interesting because we were talking to a really close friend of ours about the, the sort of research we were doing. Um, and through him, we met our third co-founder, Hisham. Um, and Hisham essentially is, is sort of the brother-in-law of this friend of ours. And he had been studying the same pain points because he had been working in this sector for about 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what ended up happening was that Just recently, he had heard about news coming out of India and Indonesia about a business model that was solving for this pain point. So through his fascination, he sort of had started building out an MVP already. Um, The businesses, I don't know if anybody's heard of Kata book, but but that's sort of the business model that was based in India at the time. And they had just announced um, their Series A funding um, at the time. So everything sort of clicked for us at that point. Hisham, myself and Haseeb, put a team of, of six together. Um, we hired like, and, and that was a software engineer in March, in right? Mar- yeah, March of last year. Um, sort of tested the MVP for about a month um, and then launched in June of last year, sort of mid pandemic. Um, and within a month, we saw 18,000 retailers come onto the platform well, organically.
2: And not not to say that this is any ingredient of success, but uh Iman and I in the height of the pandemic not only launched a business but also got married <laughs> but it's not no no like indication or like that's the playbook to start a business at all
0: <laughs> please get married during a pandemic launching a business right those are the three ingredients <laughs> just, just
1: about a week apart <laughs> uh, you
0: know and, and, and congrats for that uh, I think it's uh, it's even no more difficult sometimes while doing all these things to be able to anyway Kind of find the time for for personal space and uh, i I remember like
2: when we got when we got married that night we were doing a call and i remember like the morning is that we told the team that hey guys we're not available for
0: four hours because we're getting married (laughs) (laughs) that's the that's the the level of commitment right hey four (laughs) hours for (laughs) absolutely and And so, I mean, even, uh, actually, to, 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 uh, back to the business, no? two, two questions on that. <laughs> One would be, uh, how was it financed? Because you mentioned you know, hiring people and, and building an MVP. So did, did you get any any external financing? Was it bootstrapped by you?
1: Yeah, I think we made a very conscious decision in the beginning to bootstrap everything. Um, and because it's a software business, it wasn't. The, the costs are also quite low, right? So we sort of made sure that, every dollar spent was, we knew where every dollar was being spent um, and we felt it. And I think that sort of set the company culture early, at least for the founding the founding team. Um, and after that, after we started, started seeing sort of some traction, um, we decided in about September to start looking at the local market and the local ecosystem to find strategic angels um, who could essentially help with Uh, Accelerating the business model, adding value to the business model, um, because Pakistan at this point is a very fragmented market in in both the fintech and retail space. Um, So we had two two really strong um, strategic angels come on from within the industry. And um, only after we saw sort of like quite significant traction and the sort of all the ingredients for for scale were there, did we go out and raise institutional funding um, early this year.
0: And how, how was that also not to, to kind of conclude now the financing story? Because I think that was a pretty successful round as well.
2: Yeah. Um, and I think like one thing to kind of like highlight is that we were very deliberate with who we're going to raise money from when we're going to raise money. Um, we had like set our, you know, milestones for each, each stage. Um, and we didn't go out to raise like even angel money until we believed that this model could kind of scale. Um, And then was to show, okay, you know, let's get those two guys in because they can add tons of value for our go-to-market advantages. Um, But then let's use the money to show a VC how scalable this model is, right? Um, And then, and as a result of like painting that narrative and painting that picture, the fundraise was actually like, I think no one ever tells you this, but raising money is much easier than, you know, like doing the, the the legalities of it and et cetera and actually concluding the round from from that point of view. But um raising money was 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 quite frictionless in the sense of we had a lot of interest. We ended up in a very, very fortunate position where we had a lot of investors um in and we had to just you know find a way to kind of like fit the ones that we wanted in to the round. Um, and yeah, so by May of this earlier this year, um in May 2021, we announced a 1.5 million dollar round um led by better tomorrow ventures which is a vc from the nerd wallet guys um in this in in the valley quiet capital and uh venture Souk, which is one of the leading uh investors in the MENA region
0: amazing congrats also for that one and um i think importantly here now you mentioned right uh, it's uh, easy to, to raise money if you have uh, a good model that's scalable so Back to the model for a second, because you explained the value for the users, but what's the actual business model behind it, right? How is the credit book sustainable as a as a business?
2: Yeah. Um, I I would love to, you know, be in a in a room in a and and talk about this and just see like, you know, which which one of our professors are like, you know, you know, giving us hard stares and which ones are supporting us. But so right now, you know, based on the kind of environment in Pakistan, uh, I think Iman's kind of alluded to this before. Um, it's a nascent ecosystem, but it's a more it's a it's a nascent user base. Um, you know, people are coming online every single day. Uh, we just crossed the hundred million threshold of uh, connected devices this year, um, and as a result of that, our original you know with the current business model as it is, it's completely free, so that we don't add any friction. the decision making process and so it's very deliberate about why it's free um and and as a result of that it's more about what can we do and what can we learn from our customer and then how can we actually you know create revenue channels through those learnings Um, and i think that that's been incredibly successful for us also the fact that you know we're not addressing a specific category we're addressing an industry of like micro small medium enterprises there are people in you know, in, in different kind of businesses and business verticals, um, that learning has been at the date, like, you know, that that, that learning has been super valuable for us. Um, and it's through this that what you will start seeing um, by the end of this year and start of next year is those value addition kind of services in in the financial service space um, coming up online. But again, after we validate them, after we kind of like, you know, do our own kind of experiments on them.
1: Yeah, so just to, just to sort of, I guess, um, wrap it up, So credit book today is basically a free platform um, and it sends automated payment reminders out for the credit that people sort of upload into their digital ledgers. We also have started digitizing their cash flows. um, So they're like sales and expenses. Um, We're moving into invoicing now. um, And then based on sort of those journeys and the data collected there, um, we have a few sort of partners on board as well who are coming from the financial space and we'll we'll start offering them value added um financial services.
0: Absolutely, no. So then you you have the data you're growing with the user base now and then you you think about building something on top. Uh which I assume as well is the is the plan for the future now. So keep growing and then seeing what what you can do. Then maybe uh, one last question on the on the operation uh related to 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 how you get the company started before moving to the next part of the interview which will be the kind of the obligatory question in these times, um, how has the, the overall pandemic situation impacted you, right? You were just launching the MVP when the, the situation kind of exploded somehow. So uh, how did that uh, impact you? Could, I mean, positive, negative, neutral?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's, um, and you'll see this probably in like the statistics at least of this region, that the pandemic actually has picked up fundraising quite a bit um, in, in terms of the market and in terms of business launch. Um, And just like Asib alluded to this point earlier, this hundred million sort of threshold of um, smartphone users and 3G and 4G connectivity was accelerated by the pandemic uh, and lockdowns. And because of that, you've also seen um, a lot of people sort of come online and onto digital mediums like TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. So digital marketing and access to the population is, is a lot easier right now. Um, And I think the pandemic for us internally as a company has actually allowed us to sort of set up a culture that's remote first, um, which means that a lot of our ways of working are are based on remote and hybrid environments, um, which is why we're able to have people from different parts of the world join the company. Mateo is sitting in Milan right now. Um, We have somebody sitting in Muscat. Um, We have people distributed in different teams in Pakistan. And um, it seems it's worked through the years. So I think remote has really helped set us up for that.
0: So the, the whole situation kind of accelerated the uh, digitalization and also the adoption of uh, yeah, of, of mobile connection. And that basically helped you also, you and, and other entrepreneurs that are moving into that space, uh, growing their businesses. Okay. That's very interesting and hopefully will continue growing No, for all of you. Yeah. For sure. So congrats for, the, um, for what you're doing so far, for the achievements and for the, for the story as well, for the impact. I think it's very important not that um, you are, of course, trying to build a sustainable business by itself, but that has uh, solving a very tangible, very concrete problem, which is basically allowing a lot of uh, small uh, and medium businesses operating better, which is a, probably a direct impact on their uh, own lives and their families' life and on, uh, on their ecosystem where they work. So moving forward from from that point, uh, I'd love to keep talking, but uh, now we we have a we have a format. We need to we need to move forward. Um, mm-hmm. A few kind of closing questions to get to know you a little bit better. Though you already shared with us some very personal moments. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> now now the, the, there's two of you, so let's see how you how you reply to this. Can be both. Can be either uh, j- just one or whatever you want. Right. Uh, first question that I like to ask uh, to my guest is um, which book. Are you currently reading
1: yeah i'm i'm really enjoying a book called debt uh it's by david Graeber, um and it's basically an anthropological history of debt and social relationships with money so i guess it sort of relates to credit book and wood <laughs> absolutely oh, I'm,
2: I'm, i'll also take i i don't read fiction So, and also for me, uh, and I'm, you know, I think everyone's obsessed about Amazon, like how they built the, the, you know, the culture and such scalable processes. So, for me, right now, um, I'm reading a book called Working Backwards um, by uh, Colin Breyer and uh, Bill Barr. Um, And I think the next one on my list is Amazon Unbounded. Mm-hmm. uh there was this guy who came on at this podcast called acquired his name is brad stone and that's just got me hooked so i think that's my next one for sure
0: absolutely great thanks no and uh, interesting to see the commitment on uh just non-fiction books for the <laughs> under- I, I think that that's pretty common in entrepreneurs so that doesn't surprise me <laughs> uh let's see suggestions um is there uh what do you think it's an interesting startup to follow, of course, excluding yourselves? So yours.
2: Uh I think what I really and you know it's only come into the limelight very recently is a startup in the US called Melio. Um, they just announced their series C a few months ago. Um, they were operating under stealth mode, but I think the way that they started out was again, they're addressing the small, small medium businesses sector in, in the States. Um, the way they started out was just with five wine shops in New York, um, they decided to be their accountants. And instead of like doing user research from an interview process to actually embed themselves in the workflow itself. Um, kind of so concierge model. Not, yeah. Exactly. So nearly like, you know, a concierge service just to kind of like understand, you know the pain points like directly and that's how they built the company essentially i think it's a super fascinating story and um they're just doing incrementally exponentially cool stuff like every every time i hear about them iman no okay <laughs> <laughs> this is a
0: we'll take it as a shared suggestion um okay now one more um what is an interesting trend that you think people thinking about starting a new company should look into
1: I mean, I think, so depending on, I guess, what people are looking for, but I think in terms of like the high growth story and the scale story, there's so much happening in fintech and e-commerce and um, social e-commerce. And I think we've sort of heard a lot of stories, at least from investors moving into those spaces. Mm. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, for me, the, I think that building this company has given me an insight to the next set of problems that I would possibly like to solve for. And for me, it's around um, data as a service, data engineering. I think, you know, like the, you know, we talk about the data economy, but I think how you build your data stack and your infrastructure, we're only just getting started with like ETLs and warehousing and lakes, but like how do you automate some of those kind of relationships is, is I think something that's going to create like exponential values similar to what you know, uh, Facebook and Google have done for marketing.
0: Absolutely. No, in data operation, it's, a, it's a, in data management in general, it's growing to be more and more important. Um, okay, then now we kept the most difficult questions for the end. So first one, as uh, as entrepreneurs, as managers, uh, is there an advice you oftentimes give to people, but don't follow yourselves? I think, yeah, it's uh, when when
2: building, when working, um, whether it's to another entrepreneur or whether it's to you know any of our partners within credit book it's like don't get too emotional uh just you know you know distance yourself and actually just you know build through evidence and and build through data etc but like i think the key advice is don't get too emotional right so you can make hard decisions i think that you know for us that that's been hard <laughs> to
0: not be emotional. you get attached to your to your project no <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, that's one piece of advice that we definitely give and uh, sometimes very hard to follow ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think I think on that sort of line of thought, um, so, so what we do is we try and do a lot of research to develop empathy for the user, right, and sort of embed yourself in, in that environment. And in doing that, you inherit a lot of um, Western schools of thought through your education that you sort of apply to, to local problems. and. When doing that, I think you, you have to sort of to solve hyper-local problems. Um, you have to get a little bit emotional because you do have to empathize with the user that's, that's in a completely different context. And then there's the difficulty of not getting too emotional. So making sure that you're solving a problem for somebody that isn't yourself um, from an objective position. So, so quite similar, I think. Um, but yeah, just a, a more design-focused challenge um, that I think we, we find difficult sometimes.
0: Right, no? so kind of finding the trade-off between uh, getting to to an empathy level but without losing rationality in, in understanding the problem and being yeah. actually able to help, no? Sure. Okay, then very last question for you. Um, what has been, as entrepreneurs, uh, we don't want to know about the rest, <laughs> your biggest mistake so far? <laughs>
2: um, do you want to go first?
1: I'm thinking about okay, it. Okay, I'll, I'll go
2: first. <laughs> I think, like, for me, like, biggest mistake, there are a lot of mistakes. Uh, I can talk about them for a while, but I think the biggest mistake I've had is um, squashing my own entrepreneurial instinct and mindset for a very long time. Um, and, you know, just leaving others to solve that problem, essentially, thinking that, you know, other people are smarter than you. And, you know, they, you know, they, you know, they, as a result, they'll be able to be the ones. And I think, the entrepreneurial mindset is not about being the smartest. It's about having the talent to take risk, right? And, and having risk appetite. I think that's a skill set in itself. And so yeah, I think me sub you know, subduing that thought has probably been the biggest mistake because I feel I could have learned a lot more if I had uh, embraced that mindset earlier on.
1: Yeah, I think I think for me it might be like a mistake that comes up. Um, sort of over and over again at times, right? And it's 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 this sort of contention between growing a business um, and then the pressures of like fundraising in the market. And I think sometimes the mistake is of, is, is listening to the narrative that you're pitching um, and that you're telling fundraisers. And it's, it's, it's a true narrative to some extent, but it's also a narrative that the market needs to hear. And at times you sort of know yourself where the business direction is going and where value is coming from. And... I think that should always take precedence over um the narrative of the market so um making sure that that you don't fall into the trap of um convincing yourself of that narrative and ignoring additional value and the value you're researching is uh, a mistake that that i found myself making but sort of keep having to catch myself
0: okay very very insightful from both of you and uh, no thank you very much for for the transparency as well on this uh it's a it's a difficult journey you know and you you've been mentioning this also in the in the pre-show somehow so it's a difficult journey but it's uh hopefully fulfilling as well um iman Hazib, thank you very very much for uh taking the time for the podcast for being so honest transparent and natural uh in in during this whole interview uh for sharing your story as well for the impact you're uh you're delivering and so for for your contribution uh to to making you know Uh, to to helping other people. So big thanks uh, to both of you and all the best moving forward. Thanks, thanks David.
2: We would say that, you know, don't be a stranger, but we often catch up so much that I think it's not possible now.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. No, but uh, yeah. uh, Luckily, communication is uh, is helping a bit now as well, keeping that. Totally. Thank you as always. Take care. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do Better.